GrowCFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the GrowCFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got a finance tech expert with me, Adam Shilton. So Adam, welcome to the GrowCFO show. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Adam, I announced you as a tech expert. Tell me, what's your background and how have you become a tech expert? Yeah, so I didn't always start in tech. So I've always been kind of a music man, I guess. So my, my degree is actually in music production and sound recording. So I did that at uni, like guitar, piano, you know, all of that sort of social stuff, you know, the sort of stuff that you focus on to become popular, I guess, and become part of the crowd. But of course, when you get into music production, there is a very heavy tech element. So all of the systems to produce sound, you've got the likes of Pro Tools, Logic and so on, and it's all very systems based. So I got into editing and all of that sort of systems side of music, which was quite interesting. And then I had a bit of a fragmented journey around all sorts of different careers uh, or potential careers. So like many people came out of university, needed some money. So I went into sales, started selling houses. That got me my first house, which was fine because I knew the area. I found a bargain and then ended up selling that to move in with my wife in Doncaster. But during that time, I ended up working for a Microsoft partner. Um, And that was my first real insight into the value of tech in businesses. Mm. So that was really interesting. And it kind of looked at, well, it was predominantly in the SME space. Yeah, I've never worked in big enterprise projects. I like things to be sort of a bit simpler, a bit quicker, right? So I've I've always worked in the SME space. So I started there. And then after that, I went into the world of energy technology. And I started looking at technology that could allow companies to monitor their energy usage. So if you imagine a massive bakery, for example, where they've got massive ovens, if they can save a couple of percentage points on their gas bill, then that's potentially thousands, if not tens of thousands worth of saving in gas. So that was quite interesting, my time there. And then I moved into an agritech business, which was looking at technology that improved the welfare of animals. So looking at systems to control humidity and and pressure and all of that sort of stuff. And that was all surfaced in BI dashboards. You know, we could spot trends, spot anomalies. And it was all with a focus of ensuring that we were spotting potential issues that might affect the welfare of the livestock in that instance. And then I came back into the Microsoft space and started working on ERP projects, finance projects, and, and so on and so forth. I'm still in that space now, but my role is heavily based around finance teams, finance technology. So as well as that, I've also got Tech for Finance, which is a resource for finance professionals that are looking to leverage tech just to make life a little bit easier. So that's how I got to, to where I am now. Yeah, and it's, it's going good so far, I guess. So Tech for Finance, that's Tech for Finance individuals as much as Tech for businesses. Yes. Adam, we're right at the start of 2023. People will be looking to set personal objectives, business objectives. and There'll be a dual thing there of making your life easier and something about making your business better, more efficient, whatever. So I suppose look back at 2022 in deciding that. What are the things that you've seen in 2022 that might be a huge help for people looking at, well, what do I implement next year? 
Yes, it's a good question. And it's not a clear cut answer because, of course, it depends entirely on where you want to get to and what your focus is for the year. And, you know, if it's a personal objective, you know, I want to become more efficient, I want to become a better finance business partner, for example, then there's endless tech that can support, you know, productivity, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. So I could speak forever in a day about that sort of thing. But if we look specifically at finance in the tech space, we kind of need to categorize the different technology into different areas, different functions, I guess. So from a finance perspective, you've got your core finance operations. Yeah. And that could be as simple as something like, a, you know, say zero QuickBooks as, and spreadsheets that you use into run the business, something like that. Um, or it could be an ERP system, depending on, on the way that that's set. So that is what I'd say would be the core of, of technology. And that's not just for 2022. That's, you know, obviously forever. People are going to need those core operational systems. So that's the first pillar, if you like. Anything major changed in those operational systems? Are there, are there any sort of new features or, or things that you've seen in the last 12 months that's making any one of those packages that have been granted a long time? Yeah, so there has been some changes. And the way that I think about systems is either you have a modular setup whereby you decide what ecosystem of applications going to use depending on the department. So sales team might use a CRM system, finance might use this system, operations might might use this system. So if you are taking that modular approach, you could do something like a zero that you plug into something like Unleashed for inventory and all of those sorts of things. And in that world, we are very much in high growth SaaS territory. So what we're seeing in those areas, especially when we have, you know, applications that integrate all over the place now, we're looking at the advent of AI, we're looking at machine learning, and we're looking at greater levels of automation. Now, AI machine learning, they're not new concepts, yeah, but we are getting to the point where the entry point is lower and lower. So whereas years ago, you'd need to have a massive enterprise setup to be able to even think about affording a system that was built with an AI platform, now systems have AI and machine learning built in, and you don't even realize it a lot of the time. So take some of the modern finance systems, and it's not AI, but obviously this has been around for a while. So you take something like a bank reconciliation. Applications now are intelligent enough for you to set up rules to auto-match transactions. That's not really AI, I guess. It's just system logic saying, you know, if we've got transactions of this type, I'm automatically going to match it to something that's happened, you know, 10, 12 times in the past 12 months that follows these parameters. When we start getting into AI territory, we've got the inclusion of a more detailed trend analysis. So if we look at, say, a month-end procedure, for example, as part of your month-end you might be tidying up data. People might have entered things into incorrectly. You know, there is still, unfortunately, quite a lot of human error, not just in finance, but obviously across the board in different departments. So you might have to go correct transactions. You might have to reopen the past month, you know, do some adjustments and all of that sort of stuff. And that takes up quite a lot of time. But if you've got a system that's using AI to plot these historical trends, it's not impossible to think that actually, if you've approved stuff of this type in the past, or if the current transactions follow the trend of the past transactions, that doesn't necessarily need a human to interact with it to flag whether that's an anomaly or not. So we're getting to the point now where instead of as part of your month end, you having to trawl through a massive list of transactions to try and spot where a mistake has been made, we've got systems that are 
flagging these and saying, hang on a second, this doesn't follow the trend. You need to be paying some attention here. You know, an example could be, right, somebody's accidentally posted something for a pound that should have been a hundred or a hundred that should have been a thousand, for example, because that's too far from the historic trend. Or it could be that somebody's accidentally posted something to the wrong cost center. You know, they put that as a sales expense rather than a, you know, a marketing expense, for example, well, sales and marketing go hand in hand, but you, you hear what I'm saying, right? So these systems are doing a lot of the working in the background to shout at you to say, hang on a second, somebody needs to have a look at this. But what we're saying there is actually none of this process that sits in the background is actually replacing people. And I think that's a concern a lot of finance teams have is the, you know, I'm scared of bots and I'm scared of automation because I want to keep my job and I want to be protective over my skills. Not the case at all. In that instance, it's just flagging. And that needs a human brain to interpret and say, is this or is this not the case, right? But what it does allow people to do is get rid of all of that manual admin in the background and allows them to focus on the stuff that is actually going to push their career forwards. You know, if you're spending 80% of your time with the manual dirge, if you free that up, then what could you be doing with that time instead? So I tend to think of these things as repurposing rather than replacement bit of a tangent to your original question, which is what have you seen and what advances have you seen in these platforms? That's one such advance, given one very specific example. Um, but obviously, that's tied to the whole evolution of the finance function as well as the evolution of these systems. Yeah. Gross CFO as well, we put together a number of predictions for 2023. And one of those is all around faster close and finance making a bigger contribution as a result of being able to grab maybe a day, maybe two days back out of the month end in order to spend more time interpreting stuff. So I can see that use of AI being incredibly beneficial. And just in terms of professionalizing what you're doing as well, if it's relying on the human eye to go through dozens and dozens of transactions or posts and so on, you're going to miss mistakes. You're going to miss those anomalies. So the fact that you've got something in the background that can tell you where to go look is, I think, incredibly beneficial. Yeah. yeah. So what systems are you seeing out in the marketplace that are allowing companies to put that AI into practice? So most of them have got some element built in at the moment. Yeah. The one that is quite easy to find information about is Sage Intact. You just need to Google something called GL outlier detection, and you'll be presented with all sorts of information that goes into that detail. Yeah. But most of your mainstream applications that are, I guess, true cloud that have an owned infrastructure yes. by the likes of Sage, SAP, Oracle, are starting to build that intelligence in the background. So yes. I know applications such as SAP by Design and SAP S4HANA they are evolving. I don't think some of the AI is mature in some of those applications as elsewhere. As I say, people can come to their own conclusions as well. In the SME space, obviously, NetSuite has a massive market presence. I can't profess to be the expert in that space, but I'm pretty sure that there are some AI mechanisms that are now evolving in the background of those systems as well, to your point, help with not just the speed, but the accuracy of the data as well. It's one thing to be able to close the month faster, but if then you then spend the next month tidying up inaccurate data because it was posted too quickly. And it comes back to what we say, you know, 
you don't want to automate a bad process. You don't want to capture bad data faster. So alongside the AI and the machine learning and all this automation element, I'm seeing systems getting more intelligent when it comes to that corrective action at the point of entry as well. So take something like budget setting. Early 2023, you know, hopefully most people, have, if their financial year ended end in December, hopefully most have got that all sort of tied up by now, but some people may still be going through that, that budgeting piece. But once that budget is set, it's then a secondary challenge to make sure that people stick to that budget. Yes. Because a lot of the time, people don't always have front and center how they're performing against budget. Maybe it's a message to the finance team, oh, how much have we got left in the budget, which then becomes another job for the finance team. So, oh, I've got another request to deal with. You know, I thought we'd been through all of this and all that sort of stuff. But what I'm seeing in systems is not only the ability to obviously bring other departments into the solution to be able to have live data more accessibly, but also to have that live course correction. So a lot of these systems now, if you're going through a procurement exercise where actually you're requesting quite a large amount of money be spent, you can have warnings, limitations. You know, when I click the button, are you sure you want to post this? Because this is going to take you over budget. Yeah. Or likewise, you know, a chain of approval to make sure that you do have maximum control over that, you know, whether it's just a department head or a value approval. I mean, these aren't new concepts, but we are seeing them evolve, become cleaner. And it all points towards that speed, but also accuracy as well. So in terms of budgeting systems, which particular systems are starting to give that sort of functionality? So I can't think off the top of my head. A lot of the mainstream ERP applications will have an element of budgeting built into them. Those cloud accounting ERP systems that I mentioned, they will follow that ilk. In terms of, I suppose, standalone budgeting solutions, um, I'm not the expert there. So I'm not going to make recommendations that I can't back up. (laughs) So we've talked the mainstream system, we've talked planning and budgeting. Now, there's lots going on in the space of integrating different parts of the business together, sales systems, talking to finance systems, and so on. Is there anything in that automation space that you're seeing that's radically different evolving over 2022? So I think I'll use the example of ERP again. It's not just specific to ERP, but back in the day, to invest in in an ERP system, you'd need to build a business case to say, essentially, why are we spending so much money, right? I've written a few of those in my time. Yeah, well, absolutely. You know the drill. But now, obviously, we're getting to the point where you can sign up for yourself to a a SaaS subscription and you can even set up systems yourself. Yes. And the reason that I mention that is because we've gone from a territory that requires expert knowledge to implement something. Yeah. And maybe a dedicated ERP project manager to an FPNA manager in a finance team who can click a button and get a forecast within seconds, providing they type in the right numbers, right? Now, the reason I use that as an example is because obviously more complex ERP systems still exist. And when we look at integrations, it entirely depends on the framework that the systems can communicate with. Now, some ERP systems are built on databases that's very accessible. And if you do have an internal IT team that knows the framework, then in theory, you could integrate with anything, providing there's an API there. Yeah. Yes. But is reliant on you having that internal resource. Otherwise, you are reliant on a software partner or a software consultant that is going to charge you money to facilitate that integration. Yeah. Whereas looking in 
the SaaS world now, we now have ecosystems of supporting applications that are pre-built to integrate. I think we're going to see that evolve even more because especially younger team members now, they're taking on more responsibility, they're wearing more hats, they don't have the patience to figure out how one solution is going to integrate with the other. Yeah. Now, you of course have middleware or integration platforms, you know, IPaaS, I think, is the term that's been banded around for a while. So integrate integration platform as a service. Yes. So your Zapiers and your or Zapier or however it's pronounced, and your Appy Pies and all and your trade.ios and all of that sort of stuff. They are there to facilitate essentially connections between all sorts of systems, but you've still got to go in and say what the mappings are. Yes. Whereas again, coming back to the zero example, just because I know that they've got quite a mature app marketplace. Chances are, if you're using Zero and you find something on the app marketplace, it's going to integrate. Yeah, and it's the same in the Sage marketplace. It's the same in the Microsoft marketplace. Sage, Zero, Microsoft—they will vet these applications to ensure that they follow the correct framework before they are able to be published on these platforms. So, if something exists in a marketplace, nine times out of ten, you can assume that it's going to integrate without you having to think about it. Yeah. So you've got to look at your current setup. You know, do we have maybe a dated ERP system or do we have a system that's quite bloated and overconfigured to the point we're having to pay all the time to maintain these integrations? Or do we have a system just by the very nature of the fact that it is a cloud solution, we can just pick and choose what we want to integrate with? And there's no right or wrong answer. You've just got to look at your business, look at the applications that you think are going to be of most benefit, and then make decisions based on which of those applications are likely to integrate or not. Fantastic. So thinking then about the finance manager as a person wanting to be more productive, now we're in the world of, of more personal apps than business apps. Yes. What are you seeing happening in that space? So there's a couple, and this isn't just limited to finance. Of course, and I will make a, a couple of mentions of a couple of finance-specific apps that whether you use them personally or as a business uh, might be interesting for you to, to look into. But from a productivity perspective, again, not limited to finance, coming back to that AI piece, we're finding more and more applications that almost act like personal assistants without having to actually have a personal assistant. So whether it's a finance manager, director, CFO, or whatever, you've still got stuff to schedule. You've still got a bucket of tasks to capture and decide what you're going to do with them. So for me, a baseline is just having a simple to-do app, if nothing else, or a task app. And if you go into any app store, you'll be faced with billions. The way that I think about it, coming back to our point about integration, is I try and do the inbox zero thing. Yep. So I want it out of my inbox as possible, uh, out of my inbox as quickly as possible to the point where either I'm chilling to do it quite quickly or I'm, I'm either moving it down the line to say it's, it's for another time. But the reason I mentioned the integration piece is I use Outlook. You know, we use them. So so when I look at these productivity apps my first port of call is does it integrate with outlook and not all of them do again you can go to the microsoft store if you just go into outlook add-ins there's a load there um, so i've used todoist which is quite a good one free it's very well known syncs across all of your devices and you just click on the little todoist button in outlook and then you can sync the email across and that way you're working from a priority set of tasks instead of 
the email inbox. But I'll also encourage people not just obviously capture emails in task lists. It needs to be everything. Indeed. And we're going slightly away from the question that you asked about apps for a finance manager. But you get a Teams or a Slack message. You know, it's important not to hold that in your brain. Yes. Because attention spans and retention of information is so finite at the moment. We're knackered. We're overworked. You don't have the ability to withhold all of this information. in. So literally anything that comes across your desk or your machine, you need to capture. Yeah, so apps like to do is to do that. The one that I'm using now, just because it suits the way that I work a little bit more, is an Outlook add-in called Priority Matrix. And I can't remember who the software developers are, but I'll send you the link afterwards, Kevin, if you want to put it in the show notes. I will. But that revolves around the concept of the Eisenhower Matrix which everybody knows about, you know, it's the do, delegate, delete. Is it important and urgent? If so, I need to do it now. If it's not, then I need to delegate and so on and so forth. But that very easily allows me to take something from my inbox and put it in that matrix straight away to then start structuring my day. And then, of course, anything in that task list that's important needs to go in the calendar because if it doesn't go in the calendar, then it's not going to get done. And again, some of these applications will allow people to throw stuff on their calendar as well. So from a finance manager perspective, I've got periodic activities to do. So do I need to generate my management reports? Do I need to close down my AP? Do I need to do my reconciliations? Now, if that framework and that checklist isn't built into the systems that you use, then these task management apps are really useful because you can then say, right, well, actually, my management reports aren't due until two weeks from now. So I'll put them in the do later pot. Yeah. Whereas I do have a pack that I need to get to our finance director for the board meeting tomorrow. So I need to do that now. Yeah. So very simple example. Budgets should have been done yesterday. That should be in the do now. All of that sort of stuff. But if we take that a level further, coming back to the AI piece, there are now even more intelligent applications. And unfortunately, this is when we now move into paid for territory. There's very few freemium options in this space. But the two that I've used that I can vouch for is one called Motion. And if you listen to my podcast, Shine a Light on You Later, episode three, with Simon Devine, he recommended this to me. So use Motion. It will take that to do and all of those good things that we've just been talking about here, but then it will automatically schedule for you. So it literally is a virtual assistant. Yeah. Wow. What's good about Motion as well is you can invite other team members into it. So if we talk about, again, a monthly close, you've got different people that are doing different things. Yes. So different people with different responsibilities. So somebody in AP has this set of functions. Somebody in FP&A has these tasks to do. With Motion, you can have a combined task list and you can have a combined set of scheduled meetings, for example. But instead of what we do traditionally in a calendar, which is where we say, right, well, first thing on a Monday morning, we're going to have a team scrum or whatever the cheesy terminology is to get together you can say we need to have a meeting of this length at least once a week and then it will look at everybody's calendars and using its clever ai brain it will look for the gaps based on other priorities as the best time to have that meeting yeah so if you've got a list of to-dos that says essentially right well we need to do this management pack we need to do this budget and it takes priority over the regular meeting then it will push the regular meeting out. It will schedule your diary for the urgent activity so that you can get those out of the way before then go moving on to the ones that fall lower down the priority list. So that's use Motion. The biggest difference between Motion and another recommendation I'll make for a platform called SkedPal, 
with a K, S-K-E-D-P-A-L, is that Motion has the team element, SkedPal at the moment, according to my knowledge, or at least when I used it last year, it only worked in this way, is more of a personal tool. So it doesn't have that team element, or at least my knowledge to date, it doesn't have that team element. So the price point is lower. It's not quite as advanced and you don't have shared meeting schedules and, and all of that sort of stuff. But if you are an individual looking to take more control over your time and you do love all of the AI and you've got a lot to do and all that sort of stuff, then I'd say that's a pretty good starting point. And then at risk of speaking too much, the other good tool, just from a day-to-day scheduling personal perspective, is you can enable the insights in Microsoft 365. I'm hoping that these are now enabled as standard if you use in Microsoft 365, but it's like a daily digest email. Right, yes. Yeah, and, and you might get it, Kevin, and lots of people might already get it, but it's a pop-up that essentially says, from the emails that you've sent out, here's what could be construed as a to-do, have you remembered to do this? So it will highlight the points from the emails where you've committed yourself to something that you might have forgotten about to draw your attention back to it. That so, is incredibly clever, and yes. that's my problem, certainly. Yes. You'll talk about something in a conversation, in an email, it's gone, it's no longer part of the day, Oh, haven't made a note of the next action somewhere, it's disappeared forever. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm trying to find the term for it so I don't misspeak. I just refer to it as insights. Microsoft Viva. Microsoft Viva, right. Microsoft Viva. And I don't know whether it's included in all Microsoft 365 plans now. It's been around for a while. But not only does it do the AI piece where it will go through all of your historic emails and flag stuff that you committed to and forgot about, It'll also give you, I believe, like a monthly digest on stuff like, here's how much focus time you've had. And it just enables you to not just work in the now, but also improve by saying, right, well, over the last month, you've spent X amount of hours in meetings, you've spent X amount of time in focus time. And it just gives you that course correct to say, right, well, I've spent far too much time there. I need to obviously change something and improve for next time. So Microsoft Fever, I'd I'd heavily recommend. And I think there's even an app for it if you start going into the Microsoft 365 portal where you can start digging more into the trends as well. But I'll let people investigate that Microsoft Fever really good. I must admit that I've got a favorite that I keep going back again and again to in this area. And that's good old Trello. Yes. I absolutely love Trello. You can use it as a team. You can use it as an individual. And I just think the ability to have cards on lists so you can write literally anything down on a card and put it in the appropriate list, whether that's an information for the future list, a to-do list, a to-do in the future list, whatever it is. It's just my total way of working. I must admit, I've pulled into my own Trello rather recently a little plug into Trello that enables you to time record on a card trying to get to the bottom of what am I actually spending my time doing? Every task that I do tends to be on a card. Every time I start the task, I start the timer. And it's very, very interesting once you start looking at where your own time is going to. Yes. You only know what you know, right? And when you're stuck stuck in the day-to-day. Yeah. And I'm a huge believer in what gets measured gets done. Yes. If you've got some goals and you've got some actions against your goals, the only way you're going to actually achieve them is doing stuff. You look at that list at the end of the week and look at how much you've spent on actions that are particularly important towards achieving those goals and then realize how little time you've spent on them. Then it gives you a strong, strong indication that something's got to change. Absolutely. And on that subject, and I've not used it, but I want it maybe next birthday present. And it 
relates directly to that, but it's also got a physical element as well. It's called time flip. Yeah. Everyone, you've heard of it. But it's like a dice, but I don't know how many faces it's got. Maybe 10. Like it's one of it. It's like, yeah. almost like an octave, but I don't know how you describe it really. But each of the faces of the dice has a different icon. Yes. And you can program against the icon what task you want that to reflect. So you put it down on the desk with the icon facing up of the type of work that you're doing, and it will automatically start your timer for that type of work. As soon as you turn it to another face, it will stop the timer for that type of work, and it will start calling in the time for the other face that you put it up. Oh, I love that. Yes. I want one too. Yeah, timeblip.io. Definitely have a look. Definitely have a look at that one. Definitely. Yeah. 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 I, certainly for, for me, this year has been the year of AI. Two areas. Number one, at the beginning, I discovered a great tool for the podcast, Otter AI, which yes. is a transposition tool. It's not 100% accurate. Yeah. But oh boy, does it cut down the amount of time that it takes me to write the show notes after each episode. Yes. That's just produced a lovely feature that say you've got a half hour podcast it'll try now in a pane on the right hand side to summarize about 20 bullet points with a time against them to tell you what was being talked about in the podcast at that point and since every week my show notes anyway have a list of timestamps in them Amazing. to give people an idea literally it writes the timestamps bit of the show notes for me yes absolutely fantastic yes there is a lot more especially in the podcast space now and auto transcription because you know what they say some people prefer to absorb video some people prefer to read yes sometimes you just need to give people that transcript again if you're hosting your videos on youtube if you've got that time script you can put those links in the description and people can just click on the timestamp and skip to that point in the youtube video so it's really handy having those timestamps which is something i'd probably end up discovering in further in 2023 because i've got most of a back catalog of podcasts to put on there we go. I use Descript for my podcasts. Yep. Again, it's video editing and transcript. Again, not perfectly accurate, but it's got all of the strip, the filler words and all of that sort of stuff built into it so that you've not got all the ums and ahs as you build the transcript. So, so that's quite useful. I used to use Loom, which is kind of a quick video record. But the transcription, I mean, it was good, but nowhere near in Descript or Otter. So as you say, it's important that you're not spending forever in a day doing the transcript piece. One point that I will mention, and we can tie this back to finance because we've gone on a bit, bit of a tangent, haven't we? But a lot of my recent conversations, especially if you listen to the podcast, comes around the concept of people looking to improve their soft skills, their presentation skills, and becoming more established business partners, i.e. improving yes. their impact and their influence within the business. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, and we found that actually this year to be a very hot topic. In absolutely. absolutely. And business partnering bootcamp, which has been really well in demand. The business partnering bootcamp is talking about the principles of business partnering. And really, if I was blunt about what it does, it teaches finance people sales and marketing skills. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. How do I sell my finance message to the rest of the business? Absolutely. So it is definitely a hot, hot topic at the moment. My second ever podcast with Christian Franz Hansen at the Business Partnering Institute, and we really got into the weeds there. It was was really, really useful. But you're dead right, because a lot of finance teams are kind of introvert by default. And I'll I'll agree with that. 
because well, I, probably I, I, both of us we love tech we love apps and we'd probably be far more comfortable talking to the latest app absolutely so i force myself to be extroverted when i need to be but it's incredibly draining and the analogy i always refer to is extroverts tend to go to a party and come away with more energy because they've been circulating they've had the conversations they can be the center of attention and again i'm making gross generalizations here. yes but the introverts come away feeling drained they yes. might enjoy it but instead of it being an energy booster it's an energy sucker that's the category that i fall into myself uh, fall into myself but on the subject of transcription and all of that sort of stuff so let's say that I'm wanting to improve my skills as a finance business partner and I love my spreadsheets which you know everybody does I'm good with data but actually maybe a gap in my skills is spoken word written language that sort of stuff how how do I write in a way that my message comes across now of course you can have training on that I'd recommend that everybody that wants to build their presentation skills they go through all of the talks like TED books you know and all of that sort of stuff I'd always recommend not necessarily finance specific training but more sort of cross industry training those sorts of resources on presentation as you say sales and marketing because there is a lot of good content on influencing You've got Robert Cialdini's influence and all of that sort of stuff but hack if you're looking for maybe a bit of a shortcut to help with the way that you speak especially when you're doing presentations is a website called Quillbot oh right q u i l l b o t so let's say that I'm writing up wording for my presentation and I've got some bullet points that I'm looking at that and thinking I'm sounding a bit robotic I'm sounding a bit dry you go into Quillbot you can copy and paste your text and it's got a little algorithm that will help you substitute words that are more emotive do you, do you see what, what I mean I think it's called the paraphraser let me just double check Quillbot because there's a couple in there so Quillbot .com, .com. So you've got the paraphraser, which does exactly that. So the two options that you get without signing up for an account are just the standard paraphraser where it just rejiggle words and then fluency. So if you're using too many words, then of course it's going to restructure that to say this reads better. But then you've got some other in there. So if you want something to be more formal, you've got that if you want to simplify, but creative and expand are some of the ones in there that might be of interest. Because if you are looking to use more emotive language and you're trying to influence and get your point across, you might need a bit of support on that more creative language. So instead of having to completely retrain your mind on how it speaks and how it works, then Quillbot's good for that. And then it's also got a summarizer, which links to your point previously, Kevin, about pulling out the bullet points. So let's say that you've done a, a really complicated in detail research article. And you're thinking, oh, I've got a report that's six or seven pages of A4. I don't think people are going to wade through this. You can drop it into the Quillbot summarizer and it all using its AI and machine learning algorithm, go in, pick out the highlights, i.e. the most important keywords, and it will shorten them for you. So Quillbot.com, I use it when I'm trying to cut down my LinkedIn posts because I have a habit of <laughs> yeah. writing too many words. The paraphraser as well. So whenever I'm wanting a bit of a refresher on the way that I'm speaking to people or the way that I'm communicating via email, for example, I'll sometimes drop some of my emails into the paraphraser just for it to become a little bit more interesting. So as I say, it's not really related to the questions you've been asking. But I think it is very related to the questions because yeah. we are people that naturally deal with numbers. Yes. We'll want to go into a meeting and we'll probably want to tell 
the business about those numbers. We'll go into a lot of detail and we'll probably forget the why behind the numbers. One of the things we teach on the business partnering bootcamp is really, you know, what are the one or two key numbers that you need to talk about? What's the story behind the number? Go to ask the question why. And only when you've asked, oh, why is that? Only when you've asked the fourth or the fifth why are you getting somewhere near the sort of proper cause of what's going on in the business and the things that the business will actually be interested in. Correct. We're also saying whatever you're presenting, keep it to three main points. To come yes. back to your point about, oh, I've got pages and pages in this research report. Well, I need to tell the business three things. I also need to use the rule of three in a different way. And I want to say, well, if I'm giving this presentation, what do I need people to know? How do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to do? So that feel bit, the emotive words, how do I get the emotion across that I need so that, oh, I've given them a message about the numbers. It's not a particularly good message. Things are going wrong. Well, how do I want them to feel? Well, I want them to feel as though something urgently needs to happen. I need them to, to have that emotion. But then I also want them to do something. So I kind of put the right words in there to get action into this. So I think just looking at what you're talking about there is incredibly useful. Yes. And coming back to the point about sales and marketing again, one of the age-old marketing terms is ADA, A-I-D-A. Yes. Which is your attention. Yes. Your interest, your desire. Yes. And your action. Yes. It directly relates to those three points that you're saying there. The desire yeah. is the emotional element. The action is the, the call to action at the end of it. What do you want people to do as a result? So, yeah, yeah there's crossovers all over. The and actually talking about that particular anachronism, we in, within Grow CFO, we've discovered a fantastic app this year. It's called Jasper. Jasper actually writes blog posts, yes. articles. Yes, I've seen it. Yes. And we have used it now extensively in writing blogs and even in putting bits of courses together. And it's not saying that we're going to cheat and all we're doing is saying, Jasper, write me a blog post on whatever the subject is, which and it'll take you through a process. And within five minutes, you'll probably have 500 words on the page. Yeah. It's not the way the final published piece goes, but how many times have you sat down having to write a report or an article on something? and just entirely hit writer's block. And I've found over the years that the most important thing is to get a few hundred words on the page. They might be absolute garbage, <laughs> but until you've put a few hundred words on the page and then you've gone back and deleted a few and changed a few and added extra in there and taken a bit out here and then realized, oh, I've missed a point out completely there. And the thing about Jasper is, it's actually quite intelligent that you can probably get at least half the points that you wanted to make down on the page just from its own artificial intelligence. Apparently, it went back and it read about three years of the internet. So it knows a lot about a lot of things. <laughs> All of the internet. <laughs> it read the internet. So it can basically write articles, anything. But as we know, there's a whole load of garbage on the internet as well. There's a whole load of hearsay. Yeah, yeah. So on. So what you get back isn't necessarily useful. I've found as well, the more technical you want to get, the less good it is at helping you. 
yes. but at least it gets you some words on the page. I just think yes. it's a fantastic tool. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was listening to a podcast actually on the way to the office today. I can't remember the name of the dude, but his specialism is content yeah. marketing. He ring fences time to write every day, as you say, even if it is not relevant to anything. It's just words on a piece of paper because you only need one little nugget to come out of a sheet of A4 or a Word document or whatever your medium is, start triggering a bit more of that inspiration. And I suppose the recommendation I will make, and this applies to everyone, even if they're not wanting to publish the content, is people should write. So I get my tone of voice and my writing from posting on LinkedIn every day. Yes. But I think equally, whether you're trying to become a better finance business partner, whether you're just trying to understand who you are a little bit more, or whether you are thinking about in the future developing some sort of personal brand, which a lot of people are, especially in the finance space, a lot of people providing training courses now, a lot of people providing services on top of their day-to-day finance. If you can find time to sit with yourself, write, get what's in your brain onto a piece of paper or onto your phone or LinkedIn or whatever your medium is, I think it will really help you in your communication moving forwards. As I say, if you rip it up, you burn it, put it in the bin afterwards, Absolutely. the bladder. Now, the literary folks would just call it free writing. And yes. literally, you sit there, blank piece of paper, and write down the first thing that comes into your mind, even if it's absolute nonsense. I've tried it a few times. And what you tend to find is, yeah, the first two or three sentences might be an absolute amount of garbage. And you might start by, what on earth am I going to write? Okay. I've actually written on the piece of paper. What on earth am I going to write today? I have no idea at all what's going to end up on this piece of paper. I wonder why that is. I've actually written all of this on the piece of paper. And eventually, because you're questioning yourself and why you're doing it, you actually, probably by the time you get into paragraph two, you're writing some reasonable stuff that would quite happily sit in a journal. Yes. Or perhaps starting to get into a LinkedIn post or something like that. Yeah. And it's a powerful technique. And actually, you don't need any clever tools to do it at all. No. And from a therapy or a self-therapy point of view, because obviously mental health, especially now with everything that's happened and of course everything that is continuing, all of the stuff that, you know, inflation, cost of living, all of that sort of stuff. People are stressed, right? So writing can help from a self-therapy point of view because it then comes out of your head and it almost has this magical ability. You know, there's a reason, as cheesy as it sounds, where past recommendations have been made to write down your concerns on a piece of paper and rip them up because there is something actually quite therapeutic about getting it out and trying trying to move on. But what I've done, because I'm not going to lie, I put a lot of stress on myself I've got ambition, I've got targets, all of that sort of stuff. And you can sometimes get yourself into a dark place. And I always remember one of the first podcasts I ever listened to was Tim Ferriss. And of course, he's very well known, known an American entrepreneur, early stage investor in Twitter. But he's always done the Tim Ferriss show, which was a podcast which was one of the original ones to start interviewing experts in industry and teasing out all of their habits and routines and all that sort of stuff. But he's always been an advocate of stoicism. And I've got a couple of books, you know, look at Ryan Holiday, book I recommended on LinkedIn, Discipline is Destiny. That's really good. And it's kind of a soft entry point into Stoic concepts. But the thing that always stuck with me was the concept of fear setting. 
i.e. what's the worst that could happen. And a few months back, and I've not told anybody this, so, <laughs> so you're the first to know, Kevin, I did Adam's spreadsheet of worry. And as silly as it sounds, again, we all have spreadsheets, I put everything that was bothering me in the left column, just got it out of my head, had its own cell. And then at the top columns, I said, what could happen here? So I, I kind of did phases of how bad could this get? Do, do you see what I mean? So phase one, yeah. not too bad. Phase two, all the way through to losing a job, losing the house, all of that sort of stuff. And actually, when you start doing that, you then suddenly realize that there's a huge amount that needs to go wrong for you to get from point A to what you always think about as the worst case scenario, because we are built to, to live in fear without getting too deep about it. But yeah, Adam's spreadsheet of worry, I'd recommend doing your own because I found that really therapeutic. I have to reflect actually, Adam, being a few years older than you, therefore probably having had a few more things to worry about over time. The stuff you worry about very rarely ever happens. The stuff you ought to be worried about is the stuff you've got no idea whatsoever is going to happen. <laughs> Absolutely right. Amen to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is rather fortunate in many ways, because yes. if you don't know what's going to happen, you don't worry about it. And yet we have an incredible ability to adapt and sort out in whichever situation we find ourselves in. And we don't necessarily need to worry about stuff the stuff we worry about generally tend to be the stuff that never ever happens yes adam that has been absolutely fascinating i think we've got quite a few recommendations there for folk i think the what's happening in the finance function in general in finance systems is interesting but i think you and I have probably both got the same sort of liking for those personal tools. And I think there are some incredible ones around at the moment. Yeah. Huge, huge thanks. And have you got one favourite for 2023, just to wrap this up? Favourite application? Favourite app? That's a good one. I'm going to say that at the moment it is that priority matrix, just because it's so simple. And it's so easy just to get an immediate view of what are my priorities. Yeah. So if there was one, it would be that. Um, Um, Yeah. I can get that. And it's something I think I might be going away after after talking to you today and looking at, because there is that situation that you sit down and you see a whole load of things potentially to do. I'm almost not doing anything because I don't know what to do first. Yeah, that's it. And if you were talking about my greatest find from 2022, it would be Coolbot, because I just think that's so cool. And then in terms of time saving, it would be Descript for the podcast. So you've got three there. You've got a bonus two as well as the main one. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'm certainly going to go and look at Quillbot. That sounds incredible. Yeah, it's a good one. And then just because um, I said I touched on a, a couple of sort of emerging tech bits in the FPNA space. I'd recommend that everybody follows Born Capital on LinkedIn because yeah. they are sort of early stage investors in emerging CFO tech. So I'd recommend that if people are wanting to keep on top of what's going on. And I'm not affiliated with them anyway. I just think it's good to know where some of these really early stage software companies are coming from because you never know where they're going to go. And then one that came out of that company called whatifi.io, the dude who developed it as a 
previous experience in visual effects. So his his forecasting tool is very intuitive, and I think it's still in beta, so you might be able to get a free copy. Well, as I say, it was last time I spoke to him. So yeah, whatifi.io is one of the cooler ones that I've seen from a forecasting and financial planning point of view. So mm. yeah, I, I didn't want to leave that hanging. If people earlier were thinking, oh, what are those finance tools that you said he'd mentioned that you didn't mention? I just thought I'd throw them in there before, before we signed off. <laughs> okay, that is brilliant. Adam, thank you hugely for being this week's guest on the Growth CFO Show. Pleasure, Kevin. Thanks for having me.